Real Connection. A podcast of real stories that connect us to know we're not alone. Today you get to hear and connect with Neelan. Neelan was born into a Muslim family and through her teen years found her mental health to deteriorate. She made the most difficult decision of her life to reject her family's wishes of her living life as a Muslim and found her own way to live true to herself. In this episode, we find out more about her journey and what happened throughout this tough experience. Real Connection. Right, so Neelam, welcome to the Real Connection podcast. Uh, I'm really excited to hear about your story today. Um, I've got so many questions to ask, but basically if you want to just come out with your story and say say it how it is and you need to go on like a tangent, then please do. And I'll just fill in any more questions that you haven't maybe answered. Um, But I really want there to be fluidity to your story and for you to be heard, basically. This is your opportunity um, for people to know what you've experienced in the hopes that you can connect with others out there who maybe have been going through similar situations and you can sort of support each other throughout this journey. Um, I guess to start, I would ask, what religion were you born into? So um, I was born into the religion of um, Islam. Um, so yeah, like Muslim. And are there are there different types of Muslim, or is it is it one religion, one culture? So um, Islam is like Islam's the religion, and then obviously um, the people who identify um, with the religion of Islam are known as Muslims. And it's a bit like the best way for me to describe it is to break it down like Christianity. So in Christianity, you have like Church of England, Catholics, um, uh, Pentecostals. And with Islam, it's it's very similar. Um, So you have your Sunnis, you have um, Shias, and you have Ahmadi Muslims. Okay, fantastic. So because I'm basically, I'm a blank slate. I need to learn more about this and I'm excited to do it, you know, have a better understanding yeah. and really work on my inclusivity and diversity and understanding people's lifestyles, stories, religions, you know, really opening up to, um, you know, what exists and what, what is there. Um, also like just out of interest and so that I can be more respectful and inclusive because I believe that's the what biggest way to do that is through education. And also, mm-hmm. um, just to figure out myself uh, about my own religion and my what I believe in as well because I've been brought up in a family that has no religion um, but nothing else has ever been forced upon me you know not a certain belief so I've sort of had the freedom throughout my life which I believe is a luxury to um, think about my own thoughts and feelings and so when I learn about what other people believe in I'm sort of looking to see how that you know how that affects me like you know what what do I take from that? At what point did you notice that something wasn't right, things were going wrong? Um, honestly, I feel like in, like in hindsight and looking back on things, I think it stems back to when I came on my period and I was seven when I came on my period. I think that was the moment that I realised I was different um, to everyone else because growing up, like, so when I was growing up and it was just me, my sister, and my mum and dad, um, it was like, I knew that I was a Muslim because like that was, it was very much told, like my dad would pray five times a day. Like I'd see him to prayer. And when the fasting month came along, like we'd take part in it and Eid was always 
the best because you know it's like Christmas we get treats and stuff like that and it's just a nice time um and I just I just like I just knew that we I came from a Muslim family just because of seeing like seeing those sorts of things happen um I think I guess what made me feel a little bit different was so when I was growing up I was quite tall um like it was even in like year year two like I was taller than a lot of people and stuff I never really thought anything of it and like it was I just remember I do actually remember the first day that I came on my period I was seven and we'd just gone um to my nan's house because some relative so some distant relative had died um and so we came back the night the night after uh, we came back on the night and my mum said to my sister to like get ready for bed so I was getting changed and I remember taking my trousers off and like I don't know if I can go into detail here like like but basically just like a a seven-year-old girl takes off her trousers and sees like blood and she's like I just remember thinking like oh my gosh what's this and I showed myself I was like what's this and I remember she was like I don't know Neelan like and my, my sister's like a couple of years older she was like I don't know I think you should go tell mum and I was too scared so I, I was like no I'm not telling mum so I threw my underwear into the dirty laundry and I was like yeah go to sleep don't need to think anything of it um and then the next morning I don't I just remember going to school as normal and I was sitting in a maths class thinking oh god I hate maths so much why am I here and I happened to look to like my left where like the opening of the door was and the receptionist came out she was like oh gesturing for me to come over so I remember getting up and just going over she was like have you been to the toilet at any point today and I was like no and she was like okay do you want to grab your bags you're gonna go uh, come home and uh, see your mum and I was like oh okay cool get out of maths why not (laughs) um and then so when I went home like mum was talking to me she was like did you not see anything on your bed or like in your trousers and I was like no and she she'd pull my um trousers down and I saw the blood and I was I just started crying because I felt like oh no mum's gonna be so angry like why is there blood I thought something like I'd done something I thought I'd caused the period um and my mum was like oh Neelam darling you've you've it's happened prior to this I yeah I forgot to mention prior to this I'd also gone to Great Ormond Street Hospital um because they were doing tests on me to see why I was going through puberty um at such a young age because I was I was seven at the time and I remember like oh my gosh that was the best week of my life like I had pizza chips and beans every single night I had like I could play video games I could do whatever but they just like did some tests and stuff just to see like what was going on and I had no idea that this was related to the hormones I thought it was just because I was like obviously as a seven-year-old you get told like it's because you're just you're just a bit tall so they just want to see what's going on but they wanted to see if I was going to come in on my uh, coming on my period and try to prevent it and I came on my period and stuff um and I just remember my mum explaining to me um what periods are all about and stuff and it just kind of hit me like I was like wait so this happens every month like what was this but I just remember having like a couple of days off school and then yeah I was like it was just yeah it was just that from that moment I knew that like oh okay like I've come on my period and I knew no one else had come on their periods because not, not it wasn't spoken about it was more the talk topic of period came in at year six so I remember the teachers were very supportive and they were like you know when it when it comes to year six you'll like have a lot of knowledge and you'll be able to share it with your classmates and stuff um 
but yeah, I just remember thinking like, oh, why is it that I've got this? Like, why, why me? Why have I been given a period at this age and stuff? Because yeah, it's just, it happened for me. So I was the first one within, within, within like, I think my step cousins on my dad's side that came on her period. But like, yeah, it was just, it's just a weird thing because I just didn't know what the hell was going on down below. And I just thought, did I cause this? It sounds like a lot. I mean, I remember I was about 13 when I came on my period and uh, so I was well equipped to know like some of my friends yeah. already started. You know, I was, I was in a very sort of luxurious state as you could be when you started. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine coming on at seven. So that's incredible. So you, you spoke of like the hormones and, you know, going through puberty as being sort of the pinnacle moment of when you started to struggle with your mental health. And so was it the hormones you feel and sort of around that time that triggered a sort of unstable effect on your mental well-being? Like what can you go into more detail about why that sort of challenged your sort of you questioning your lifestyle and being a Muslim? Um, okay, so I guess, I mean, even to today, I, I'm a crier. I'm a full-on crier. I'm probably going to cry in this episode. Who knows? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think at that age, obviously, like, I was seven. So, like, for me, I was very much, like, I'm taller than everyone else. And I just want to, you know, I just want to be a little girl. Like, I want to, I want to wear, like, T-shirts that have, like, lollipops on them and, like, unicorns and whatnot and I just want to play with like so I've got this cuddly toy I've actually got him with me today please don't laugh <laughs> he's been with me for 25 years his name's Pingu I got him when I was one and it was very much like I just want to play with my Pingu and my Bratz and Barbie dolls like that's all I wanted but like I, I guess I was dealing with all of it like my boobs were coming through so like the talk of getting a bra was mentioned I remember it so well that I was like I don't want to wear a bra like like nine-year-old me was like nope don't want to wear a bra but like I remember we went for a bra fitting at Marks and Spencer's and my mum always cracks up about this she was like I just remember the lady was like here she put on this bra on me and I looked at her like what the heck is this contraption on me and she was like yes and you must scoop them up and I was like Mum, I don't want to wear a bra. I just don't want to wear a bra. Um, but like, yeah, that that like I can laugh about it. Obviously now, because at the time I did not find it funny, but now I looking back on it, it was quite it's quite funny. Um, but like, yeah, so like I guess because I was developing and because I was a lot taller, a lot of people who didn't know me would have looked at me and th thought like, oh, she. And I did get mistaken a lot of the time for being like eighteen or fifteen. Um, and obviously as a nine-year-old, you, you just want to be your own age. Like you just want to be doing what other kids are doing your own age. Because I think it's, again, I guess it's what's like everyone's desire to be normal. I put that in air, uh, air quotes because what even is normal? But like the idea of fitting in, especially as a young age, I think that's just such a thing. But like, I don't want to be different. I just want to be like, just want to be like everyone else. And I know that there was a lot of pressure on me growing up it's like no you can't you can't behave like that and like oh you can't really you can't really wear that and stuff and I just for me I was very much like well why can't I wear it like all, all of my friends are wearing it and my cousins and stuff why is it that I can't and why is it that I have to behave in a certain way um and I guess it was very much like I guess to put it blunt uh, bluntly I don't know if that's the right word but just to be like I felt felt like 
I had seven years of childhood and then I very much had to grow up. And I guess if you look at a seven-year-old now, um, you'd never expect a seven-year-old to have the, the pressures of like, like any of like what teenagers go through or anything. You just want them to be like a kid. And I just, I, yeah, I get, I guess I, it was more like I had to do a lot of growing up quite quickly. Um, I mean, like it's, it's great for me now because I very much have in, um, allowed myself to be a child still now. So I've still got like my, my toys and stuff and I love my Disney and stuff. But um, at the time it was very much like, oh, I had to grow up and stuff. And I think that had a bigger effect on me because not only, so when you go, obviously when you go through puberty, um, not only were my boobs coming through, but like I had like my pubic hair coming through. So like my underarms were hairy and my legs were hairy. And I remember for our, production uh year six production we did Bugsy Malone and I was one of the dancers and they put me in one of those 1920 dresses but it was strapless and at the time I had full-on hairy legs but that didn't bother me what bothered me was the fact that I had hairy underarms and I was very much like oh no I need to like I need to go get it waxed and again like year six Neelam had to go to the salon and well get her auntie to like wax her and stuff and like body hair and like I mean, I, yeah, it was just, it was just like a lot of, a lot of things happened that made me feel like I was so different. And uh, the amount of times that like people would be like, oh, I, I want my period and stuff like that. I'd be like, take it off me. Like, go on, just take it. Cause I don't want it. I don't want my period. Um, but like, yeah, I guess that there was a lot of pressure for me to like, just grow up and and there was a lot of, because I was watching loads of people around me that were the same age, or like watching people that are even older than me, like my sister, for example, to a couple of years older, like she um, was, she also had different like pressures, but like she didn't have necessarily the pressures that I did. And I just didn't understand like, why was it me? Why, why did I have all of this? Why, why was it that I was given like a period why was I've chosen to be like tall and stuff and why did I have these thoughts and I guess that's what started to trigger off a lot of thoughts and I think like like going into my teen years and stuff and looking into religion so I I was quite late when I finished the Quran I finished it when I was um 18 I think I was in my foundation year at uni that I finished the Quran and that's quite late because mo most people finish it when they're like a child um but we didn't really we didn't I read the, okay, so with learning the Quran, you've got the Qaeda and you've got the Quran. The Qaeda is like the beginning part of the Quran, but they section it off uh, for people who are learning it. It's very much like children who learn it. That's why you have those two versions. Um, and I remember doing the Qaeda when I was younger and then we just stopped it. And then when I started my GCSEs, that's when like my mum took me and my brothers to start learning the Quran. Um, and so, uh, whilst I was learning to read the Quran, I was also let, being taught like how to teach the Quran as well, which I didn't really mind because my mum was doing it at the same time with me. So I was just like, well, I'll just do it. Um, and then like, yeah, just finished the Quran. And then like accompanied with that. So like I was starting uni and stuff and it was, there was, I'd, I'd wanted to do like performance studies um, and when I went to uni, I, I actually did performance design. So it was like the behind the scenes stuff. Um, and whenever you mention art to like, um, 
it's like within the South Asian community, it's very much like if you do maths, or you do science, you're doing doctor studies or whatever, it's like, oh, well done. And like, um, oh, you're so great. And mashallah, mashallah is like a, a, a blessed term in the Islamic community. So it's very much like you're praised and you're amazing. And if you mention you're doing like maybe music or drama or art, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so I already had to like, I was very much like my sister. So my mum has like a master's in computer science. My sister went to uni to do maths and she's now a maths teacher. And then Needham comes along and she's like, yeah, I want to perform and I want to do art. Um, so it was very much like, and my parents, and don't get me wrong, my parents were very supportive of that because I got into one of the top art unis in, in the UK. Um, and they were just, they were just really proud because they were happy that I was doing something that I wanted to do. Um, but then I think what came with that was because I didn't move out for uni, my parents, and because my parents saw that I was having a lot of fun whilst I was at uni, because I was just enjoying it. I thought, I think that they fell into the trap. We've had this sort of conversation. They kind of fell into the trap of thinking like, oh, Neil's not at uni. She's just doing fun things. She's not, because I was going to a lot of like film events and networking with a lot of people because within that sort of industry, that's what you had to do. But I think my parents just kind of thought, oh, she's always going out and having fun. And I'm like, no, I'm actually, I'm doing something to build a career. Um, and so there was just like a lot of pressure to like, you know, I had to remember that I was um, a Pakistani Muslim girl and a Pakistani Muslim girl doesn't just go out late at night. She has to, you know, she has to be home and like, you know, she can't, it's, it's very weird to explain because whilst I had a liberal upbringing at where I could have friends come over, and my parents genuinely didn't care whether I had friends that were male or female because we, me and my sister were quite open with our parents and spoke. They just were like, yeah, cool. Like if you want to have friends to come around, it's fine. So my parents very much knew who were in my friend circles and stuff. But co contrasting with that, it was very much like, you, you know, like I had the responsibility of remembering like, you know, you're not allowed to have a boyfriend. You're not allowed to do the dating scene and stuff. And, you know, you have to remember that when you go to these events, you have to like, remember that you are a Muslim Pakistani girl so you know you have to behave in such a way and stuff and I never felt like I missed out with like drinking or sex or anything like that I was never like because I was able to go to parties sorry I feel like I'm going on so many different tangents it is leading back to the point but I never missed out because I was allowed to go to parties and stuff but I never felt like the desire to wear air quotes like non-modest clothing and I didn't feel like I was missing out on drinking and stuff because I didn't feel like I needed that stuff to have fun I could just have fun wearing what I wanted to wear that I felt good in and you know still looking modest and I could still be with my friends and I didn't have to drink to like you know be part of that um but when I, obviously when you when you reach a certain age yeah I guess that comes back to it so I think one of the biggest impacts on my mental health was also like when you reach a certain age it's like within the south asian community um especially for women not necessarily for the boys as such this is from my own experience i can only i can only talk to my own experience but for women it's very much like okay once you reach the age of 18 you're at an age where it's like you should start to be looking for marriage and stuff and my my mom just knew me well enough to know that like i was not going to be married at 18. She also knew about my sister, but she just knew from me. She was like, Needham's not going to want to get married anytime soon. So it was never that pressure, but the pressure from the other communities. And I guess my sister 
reaching the age of like when she was 25 she was ready to start getting married and stuff and in the south asian community it's very much seen as like if you go to school when you finish school the next stage of your life is marriage that's that's what most asian south asian um women are taught south asian girls and if you don't most girls will then go to university because they're like they want to continue their education because it's almost like a, no just give me that like you know let me prolong like let me just still do what i need to do because i haven't like you know if you if girls if some people want to aim for marriage and stuff like that that's there's nothing wrong with that like, if that's what you want to go for but there are for me that wasn't what i wanted um and so once i finished my education and i graduated from uni i was trying to start to build a career um, with my own um, production line because I wanted to do become a creative producer and I think that there, there wasn't necessarily the pressure on me but I think it was in the back of my head that my sister was looking to get married and then like I think my dad was very much like what's how is this art going to support you in life how is it going to fund you how are you going to support yourself you know and obviously it's like it's a tough grind anyone who does self work, um, self-employed work knows it's a tough grind and I was happy, you know, having a part-time job at the local theatre and local gym to fund me to do this stuff. And my parents were helping me as too to do my creative stuff. But they didn't necessarily understand if I was like, right, so I'm doing this project and it's going to be a photo shoot and it's going to be like Christmas cards and I'm going to send it out to all of this, these people. They didn't necessarily understand like that's in a way how you kind of network within the creative industry and how you get seen. Because if you share your work and you network with people, they'll want them want to work with you for your style and I remember sitting at the dinner table with my parents and like we were having this conversation and my mom just and my mom was very much like just tell like help us understand what it is that you want to do um to to like help us to understand what it is that you want to do in order to achieve your goals and stuff because we want to support you and um and whilst I explained, I said like, you know, I do need to go to these events and stuff and I do need to network and I'm not going to these events just for fun. Like I'm not going to these film reviews just because it's like, oh, I get to see a film and it's fun. Like I'm doing it because I then can write a review. People see my work, they want to work with me. So that's how it works with my industry. And um, like, just like family members were around I don't want to say exactly who it was but I remember one person saying to me that like well I'm happy that you want to do that but like and like you know I support you too but what man is going to want to marry you if you want to do that and then I just I got furious at that comment and I think I just turned around and said like well who's to say that I even want to get married who's to say that that man's going to be worthy of me like I want to do like I want a man who supports me and you know and I think that was also like what, like just all these little things. I think the pressure of like constantly having to explain myself, constantly having to explain like what is it that I'm doing, and constantly like fighting to almost like be heard and fighting for just me, just fighting for me to be me was like the biggest thing I think for my mental health. It started to take a toll because I started to think like, well, combined with going through puberty at an early age. I was thinking, okay, well, something's different with me. Then like um, learning the Quran at such a late age and just feeling like, oh, well, I didn't learn the Quran when I was younger. And like, you know, I, like, I finished it later than most people. And like, there's something wrong with me. And then like going on and trying to 
build a career, but the career wasn't in line with like what the South Asian community um, think is approving. And I didn't want to like get married by a certain age. I was like, oh gosh, like there's something wrong with me. And it just, it started to take like um, a detrimental like effect on my mental health, which also affected my physical health because I think also with, within like the Islamic um, culture and South Asian community, it was very much like, you need to cover yourself up. You need to cover yourself up. And I was very, very big when I was younger. And when I started to lose weight, I st wanted to start wearing clothes that fitted my body and made me look good. And some of that, the, those, because my shape was a certain way, I couldn't wear necessarily other clothing because, oh gosh, I, I, it's just, it's hard to explain, but basically, um, what, so for example, I'm, I, I went, wanted to go to the gym one night and I was wearing this long sleeve black top and leggings. And my thought process is I need to go and I'm wearing this because I can focus on my workout. I don't need to worry about putting my trousers up and stuff like that. I'm just going to work out. I remember my mum looking at me and it was very much, it was just fitted. So you could see the outline of my body and my silhouette. And she was like, Neelam, that's not very appropriate to wear to the gym. And I was like, but why? I'm going to the gym just to work out. And she was like, yeah, I know, but like your body shape is different. And I'm like, okay, but I'm going to the gym to work out. And I think I got a bit frustrated because I was like, I'm going to the gym to work out. If I was wearing a headscarf and a black overall, I can't control what people think. Like even if, I, if I'm wearing that or if I'm wearing what I'm wearing now, I'm going to the gym. My intention is to go to the gym to work out. And if there is a God, God's going to see my intention, which is I'm going to the gym for a workout. I'm not going to like have a one night stand. I'm going to burn some calories, you know, and like burn some fat. And I think I was like, I can't, if I, if I focus too much on what other people are thinking of me and what their intentions are, like, I'm going to be living a life for other people. And that's not what Islam's about. Islam is like, I guess, about your relationship with God, like any religion, you're, you're, it's about your relationship with God and how you go about in the world and how good you are. And like how, when I say good, as in like what your intentions are, if your intention is to hurt people, well, I think of any religion, forget about the fact that it's a, we're talking about Islam. I think any religion doesn't like really want the, the God doesn't teach to like, you know, go and start a war, or, like be harmful to your fellow humans or your, like the environment you're in. So I think there was a lot of like, a lot of different back and forths. Cause I had a, I had a liberal upbringing, but then it was slowly becoming more like, okay, well, you're now reaching an age that you can't be doing these sorts of things. And it's like, but, I'm not doing anything inappropriately. I'm just going about my life, like trying to go, like, I thought this is normal. And so it was kind of like, it was mis like, I guess mixed messages. And that started to affect my mental health. That was very long. I'm very sorry about that. I feel like I've seen a whole insight into your whole like timeline. And that's great. Cause you've actually answered some of the questions um, I was going to ask. So it, so just sort of summarizing sort of what you said to make sure you know I'm on the right page with what, what my understanding mm -hmm. is you had at young age you experienced a tragic loss within your family within your extended family um at yeah. that around about that exact same time within a few days you had come on your period uh something that you didn't quite understand what was happening um yeah and it you know and, and that sounds like it was quite a big struggle of you because you didn't really have anyone that you felt comfortable to sort of lean on and take you through what was sort of going on. Um, 
and obviously when you go through puberty you have all these new thoughts and feelings and you start to feel certain ways you know you get attracted yeah. to people and you want to grow up and do more certain things and it sounded like almost your I think you said it yourself that your childhood has sort of been taken away from you you were being forced mm. to grow up and it like it sounded like you felt different like a different person from who you were and who you were expected to be yeah within your family um and you know whilst they weren't doing anything wrong they were living you know by their true religion and what they were I suppose especially being brought up in a British British culture where you had everyone around you almost living this Mm -hmm. completely different life with um almost no restrictions in certain areas like you know something um of me growing up I never had to thought about you know what I wore obviously to an extent you do but uh, yeah you know, I didn't, I didn't have to worry about these things or think, am I, you know, who am I upsetting by doing this, by, by yeah. wearing this? And, and then it sounds the older you got, the more pressure there was, you know, the impact yeah. and judgment on the career choice that you had and being introduced to the idea of an arranged marriage and that not being something you were ready for. So it yeah. sounds like you completely threw yourself into your career, which as we've as I've just said you know and as you've said wasn't quite approved by everyone within your within your family I'm sure that had a a great impact to not have the support of some people who you wanted it from most yeah Um, and so yeah it just sounded like everything who you truly were wasn't acceptable in the environment that you were within would you would you think that's a good no completely I was just gonna add that like so growing up I had a few Muslim South Asian friends but not many um and I think that was like it was interesting for me to see because I know that a lot of my friends like like a lot of the Muslim South Asian friends they would be like they would lie if we were to go out to um a birthday party at some friend's house I remember one of my friends being like um Neelam like they them saying to me like Neelam you're so lucky you don't have to worry about like you know if you want to come out to your friend's house for a party, like I can't even do this with my, you know, I'm not even allowed to do this because I should only come over if I'm studying or whatnot, that you're not allowed to come out and party. And I never really understood that because my parents were so open. They literally, they couldn't care whether my, I was friends with like Muslims, atheists, Christians. They didn't, they did not care. Like they didn't care. They just, all they cared about was that I knew that I was a Muslim and that I was behaving in such a way, but they, they had no problem with me going out to like, the cinema bowling and stuff like that with my friends and stuff as long as I wasn't doing things that were inappropriate and because I guess within the South Asian community there's also a lot of pressure on all kids to remember that like you've got what you do not only reflects on you but it mainly reflects on your parents and you never want you in a way you never want your parents to be seen as like they they're like oh well they don't know what they're doing and oh she comes from that family and you don't want to get mixed up with that. Like you, you just want the best for your family. Like I, I just want the best for my parents. Um, even, even after everything that's like, you know, what's happened and like what path I'm on now, I still want the best for my parents. And I never want it to be seen. Like I never want it to be, I don't, to be honest, I just want to say that I don't want the purpose of this, doing this podcast isn't because I want to get the blame out there and I want people to see things in a certain light. I just, you know, I'm just getting my story out there and like saying that it is a struggle. Mental health is a big thing. And especially within the South Asian community and when religion is involved, like 
it's just a big thing. Um, so that was a very long-winded answer to say, yes, yeah, you were right. <laughs> um, so I want to get just a better insight. Um, we won't spend too much time on this one, but I just want to give a, mm. just an insight to what an arranged marriage is. How does it work? Um, is, it, is it that you meet the man you're going to, is it at the, you know, at the altar? Is it like Married at First Sight Australia, which is a program I'm so fond of? Uh. <laughs> so, um, okay, so when I hear the term arranged marriage, I think of exactly like you, that like two people are meet and then you get told, yeah, you're going to get married and that's it, that's the arranged marriage. You don't really have like a say. And that's never what my parents wanted. My parents would never enforce an arranged marriage. So it was very much like, it, it was more of like a match made sort of thing. So it was very much like it was chaperoned. Um, like you would, you could get no, the family members. Uh, so my parents would, if they want, like, this is an example. Um, my parents would be told of a boy who's at certain age, they'd be given like a brief insight. And if they were like, oh, it sounds like a good match for our um, daughter, they would like kind of meet the son before like the, like the daughters would then meet the, the son. And it was very much like chaperone visits and like, families would go and visit each other's houses um and that's what was like there's so many different way, um different styles so you've got the arranged marriage of you're going to get married to this person you have no choice that wasn't what my parents wanted there was a match made one which is like the parents help you and chaperone and you could there are times where you meet someone at uni or wherever um and if they're the same, if they're the same type of Muslim, it's great because then it's just like, yeah, I've met this person and like my parents would be like, cool, great. Um, then came the struggle of if you met someone that wasn't a Muslim, it'd be like, well, uh, how we, we're going to, uh, the whole conversion talk happened. I've got a couple of um, people in my own family who, um, like, uh, when I say a couple, like, I've got a few people who um, people have converted. So like their other halves have converted to be Muslims with they can be married and stuff um and yeah that's that's like yeah to to answer your question like that's what an arranged marriage is very much like yeah you meet them and you're not you don't have a well, it's not that like you don't have a say but it's very much like no this is arranged and here you go but the match made is more of like a chaperone thing okay no that's um you know help, helps me understand actually <laughs> what different courses they can you know you can take in order to find the person for you whether it's been enforced on you whether you have more of an open choice as long as it's you know chaperone really yeah good. so you decided you ultimately decided this isn't what I want um and yeah. going going back to sort of your struggle with mental health was I'm assuming that all of these pressures that you're feeling and a sense of frustration for not being to sort of live your true self um had a massive impact as you know that I can imagine Mm. and at what point did things get really dark and and what happened during that time um so I guess okay so I guess it links back to that question about the arranged marriage I guess so growing up I was I would just assume okay I'm a Muslim and I'm gonna marry a Muslim and yeah my parents are gonna find me someone and it's cool and then obviously you reach the age of like it's it's always at the age of 19 to 20 19 to 23 that's the age when people start to think i remember my cousin driving me home once and she asked me about religion and i was like no I and i was 17 so i was like no i haven't really thought about it she goes in a couple of years time you will and i remember thinking like 
I don't think I will. I think I'm just going to blase my life, way through life. But obviously that, <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, so I, I thought, growing up, I thought, yep, no, I'm going to marry him as a man. And then I was like, I saw that people could get match made. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's all right then. Like, I know that I'm not going like, to, I'm going to have a say in who I get married to. And then I was seeing people converting and I was like, oh, okay. So if someone could convert, if I meet someone, then they'll convert for me. And then I was like, hang on, wait. So for my parents, it was, we don't care whether he's white, black, English, American, whatever he is. If he makes you happy, that's cool. The only condition is that he has to be Muslim. And I think for me, I think that was like, hang on. I don't, no, no. I don't want someone to convert for me. Why should someone have to change in order to be with me? Because I don't ultimately, if my parents are happy that the person's going to look after me, then like the whole religion thing, is it, is it really, is it really to do with me and being looked after or is it more of a saving face and just doing what other people, what is expected? And like, let's flip reverse it. Let's say I meet someone who's like a certain religion, let's say Jewish. And he's like, oh yeah, you'd need to be Jewish in order to marry me would I convert for him? And it was just like then these sorts of topics of getting like married and stuff. I think that's what, um, that's what ultimately like started to make my brain go a bit frazzled. I was already like work, trying to work on my creative production, uh, product, like production company. I was already trying to like boost that career up and then constantly having to justify that. Then like seeing like family members starting to get married and stuff and, I've also got family members within my own family who are uh, not Muslim. So I've got like a Jehovah's Witness auntie. I've got um, an auntie who's, I don't really know if she, she, I wouldn't say she's atheist. I think she's just not Muslim and stuff. I've just got members in my family that aren't. Um, And there was an event that happened quite close to me where um, something fell, like the, the wedding kind of just fell through and I think that had a lot of a big impact on me um, just because like I was quite close to the person and I just wanted to, I had to take on a lot of responsibilities of like getting in touch with like um, people to like say that it's not happening anymore and stuff. I took a lot of time off work because I wanted to help support the family and stuff like that um, that was involved. And I think that it just, it kind of like, it took a toll on everybody. Um, and that's when I started to feel like, oh my gosh, like this, it, I think it just so many things became, uh, came on top of one another that I thought I'm, I, there's no one's really helping me. I don't think I felt like, I, I know that sounds very selfish when I say it because it's like someone else was going through something, but I think there was so much pressure on me too, that I was like, I feel so alone in this. And the only escape that I had was to be able to go to the gym. Like fitness very much saved me. Um, being like, if I could like going to work, yeah, earning some money was great. And like where I worked was fun. But like, I think the only thing that I was doing solely for me was fitness. So for me, leaving the house and being able to go to the gym was, I'd spend hours there if I could like, the minute that I was able to go to the gym, I was like, yep, I am going to spend hours in the gym because it will give me a chance to just get through what I need to get through in my, uh, my mind. Um, but things like things started to take a toll. Like I just started to think like, 
I've got the pressure. I don't feel like my company is taking off and like, I've had to take a break from that. And there's people that I've reached out with. I had a project coming up. I'd gotten in touch with like a new uh, different photographer and makeup artist. I basically had to like cancel that. And like, I just kind of felt so much pressure that like, I, I just kind of like, I just went into like this depressed state. I, I hate that word so much. I remember when the doctors said to me that, and so many doctors said to me that I was depressed and I hated being told that. Because when you're in that state, I don't know if anyone has seen Pixar's soul, but this is the, the best visualization. So whenever anyone asked me, like when I was in a mental health, like in that state, I'd say like, it's not me. It's really not me. I don't want to die. I don't want to self-harm. I don't want to do all of this stuff. Um, it's like the only way I can describe it is a big black blob and it picks our soul. They do show um, a, a moment in the movie, spoiler alert, I'm sorry, but like there's like um, lost souls and they're these big black figures that take over the mind. And I was like, that, literally that, that is, that is depression right there. That like when someone, um, when people used to ask me like, you know, why do you want to commit suicide? Why do you want to die? And I'm like, I don't, I actually, I don't want to do any of this. I don't want to self-harm. I just, I, I want help. I need help. I want to live. I want to be able to live and be happy, but it's, it's, I, it's just, I can't because there's a lot of, like, I can't, I'm, I'm getting a lot of pressure and I was just mentally unwell and I needed help. Um, and like, it started to affect my physical health. Like, not only was I not getting like sleep and stuff like that, I just like, there's a lot of tension anywhere around that time. And I um, started, gosh, I started cutting myself. Um, and I remember people at work had start, like, was, could see the scars and I, I wasn't proud of it. I didn't want to show it off. It's just, I don't know, you just, you, it's because it wasn't me and because I, I was just, you know, trying to get the pain out in some way or just trying to like do something about it. Um, I just didn't know where to go and like I'd phone I'd phone Samaritans a lot and they helped me a lot um, but the thing is with Samaritans is that like when you phone you speak to a volunteer a different volunteer each time and I had to explain a lot of the times it wasn't like a, a therapist and so whilst talking is great and I definitely like big up the Samaritans um, it was it was hard because I kind of I, I think I just needed someone to to help me get through this and I actually I did have counseling when I went through puberty at primary school um but what put me off counseling was I remember going to my counsellor one day and I was telling her things that happened and it was about the time that I came my period and she was like I remember her listening she goes Neelam the thing is I have to be I'm going to be very honest with you okay she was like you when you come to these counseling sessions it's like you're really happy that you're here but then you burst out crying and you tell like telling us all these things and I don't know it's just it's, it's just are these things actually happening and like as a as a kid in primary school I was happy that I was getting help and I felt like oh so I am I making this up am I am I doing all of this like oh it's my fault it's and I remember leaving that counseling and then I I, I think they just stopped counseling with me because I think that they just assumed that I was lying um so that that scarred me for a very long time the amount of people amount of friends of mine that said like you need to go to therapy you need to go and get a counselor and I'm just like no I'm too I'm too uh, like I don't want 
I don't need someone to not believe what I'm saying because like I'm not making this up I just need I need help um so yeah so that happened at the time and then I think all of this pressure came on top of me and I decide I think what someone saw that I had all these cuts on my hand and they were close to me at the time and they said to me you need to go home and tell your parents like you need to go and do this it'll be fine because they're your parents and they'll they'll love you no matter what um and so I made the decision of going home and I was shaking I remember I was driving a car and I had a yeah so I, I forgot to mention I got given a car for my graduation and I was not, I didn't want a car and I was in no mental state to have a car because the amount of times that I drove, I remember one time I was driving to work, mentally not there because I was all over the place and I nearly had a car, I fully had nearly had a car crash on the roundabout and I broke, I broke suddenly. So I think everyone around me knew that like, I it was a close call and it was safe. No one, like no one beeped at me or anything. I just saved it. But I remember in that moment when I braked, I was like, shit, I could have just, where was my mind just then? It wasn't like I just got in the car and I forgot dri driving. I was just not there. Um, so I was driving home and I was shaking. And I was crying. I couldn't really see because I was crying and I was shaking. And I was sitting inside and I was shaking. And um, so my mum came home through the door and she could see that I was really upset. She was like, what's up? And I was shaking because I was like, how do I tell my mum that I'm feeling suicidal? How do I tell my mum I'm mentally not well? I'm feeling a lot of pressure. How do I tell my mum this? And I was just, I was shaking at the time and I was really scared. And I remember just saying to her, like, I was crying and I just said, like, I'm so, I'm so sorry, mum, for what I'm about to say. And I remember apologising and just saying that, I'm so sorry. And I love you and I don't want you to think any differently of me. But I just don't want to be a Muslim anymore. And I remember saying those words. And I guess it was the only thing that I could say that could come out because I was too, I was too scared to show her. I was hiding my hand because I didn't want her to see that it was all cut up. I didn't want her to see because we'd also, um, we'd also a few years prior um, lost a very close family member to who has suffered with depression. And I, I think I felt scared that I was going to end up like this person. And, and I didn't want to die. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, not live I wanted to get through it but I just didn't feel like I had the support and I think my mum was a little bit like confused and she was scared at the time um so the response that I got wasn't necessarily the best response um and my dad also I don't think the response was the best either um and I remember like the next day just feeling so upset because I thought I wish they could see that I'm mentally not well and I need help and I, I want them to help me I want them to support me but I don't I don't know maybe this is all my fault this is maybe I should be dead maybe I shouldn't exist maybe like there's something wrong with me um so yeah that's and because I wasn't getting it I, I was at a point where it was like okay you, you've got two options you can either kill yourself and then like really hurt your family that way or get practical help someone needs to practically help you because that was that's where I was at and so like the next day I think I um the only the only option that I hadn't explored the only option was 
going to the police and I didn't go to the police because I wanted to charge anything or just be like, you know, this is what's happened. It was, I'm mentally not well. I'm mentally not well. I need physical help. No one was able to best assist me. And I thought like the police will probably be able to get me some counseling at the hospital and stuff like that. So I very much gave them a life, um, like a lifetime account so that they could understand that like, I loved my parents, I loved my family, and nothing against them. It's not that they did anything to like, I don't think it was anything that they did to like, you know, I, I'm mentally unwell, it's me. The problem's me. The problem is not with the people around me. The people around me don't know how necessarily best to support me. So, but what ended up happening was, I just remember, and the thing is when I went to the police station, I took nothing with me apart from my pingu and my phone and wallet. That's that's all I took because I was going to go to work. Because I thought the police are just going to be like, yeah, okay, cool, we'll get you some doctor's help and like, or counselling and stuff and like maybe you might need some family counselling. What ended up happening was the doctors were like, the doctors, the police officer was like, yeah, you're not going home. And I was like, what? And he was like, you're not going home. So you either need to go and stay with someone or we're going to put you in a hotel. And I was like, no, I need to go to work. And he goes, you're not in a fit state to go to work. And I was like, no, but, and I was freaking out at this point because I was like, fuck, like, this isn't what I wanted. I didn't want to be taken away from my family. I didn't want that. Like, and um, I just remember that, like, they got a doctor in who diagnosed me as depressed. And I was like, I don't want to be told I'm depressed. And um, there was someone with me at the time who, um, was like, um, yeah, I'll stay with her at the hotel because the pet, pet people were like, we'll put you in a hotel. Um, and when you're in this, like, you know, are you gonna be safe on your own or are you gonna try and attempt suicide? And they were like, I, I didn't know what to say because I very much felt like everything was just being told at me 100. And um, they said to me, um, yeah, you're gonna get put into a hotel and you're not gonna go home. And they were like, do you want to tell your parents or do you wanna just ride it out? And I was so at, like, so overwhelmed with all of this response that I was like, um, I, I just couldn't think. And they were like, we, we think that you should just ride it out, don't tell your parents. And I was like, no, I need to tell my parents. I need to tell them and stuff. They were like, well, are you gonna be able to get any stuff? And I was like, I, do, I, don't, I don't know. And I knew that my family, because I was at work, I couldn't go to a wedding that they were going to that evening. But I didn't know if they were going to go, if they weren't and stuff. And I, I just wanted to, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I was very much told like, okay, go and drive to this hotel and you're just going to stay there all night. Um, and that was the worst night's sleep. I remember like shaking in bed. I kept waking up crying, having vivid dreams. I remember all the dreams that I had that night. I was just so scared because I remember the time, looking at the time thinking like, right, this is the time that they're going to know that I'm not home. And I turned my phone off and I didn't tell anyone where I was because I didn't want the pressure for anyone to know where I was and for like my sister or my parents to like reach out to them and then they were trying to hide something. I didn't want anyone involved. I didn't want them to have that pressure. Um, and then the next day I woke up, went to the police station and they said like, yeah, your family, we're looking for you. Um, and we're gonna go back to their house today. Um, and they said, um, so the, these are your options, Neelam. Your options are you can either go and live in a refuge, but if you live in a refuge, you get given a whole new identity. So you can't return to work. You can't get in touch with any of your friends. You can't get in touch with your family. 
and you don't tell anyone we don't tell anyone about you like you just basically vanish or you find a place of your own and you like rent it out and you like you know you fund that or you live with someone who can house you for a bit and in my head I was thinking right so I haven't got the money to fund for myself who can I get in touch with to ask can I live with them because I don't want extended family but I don't want people involved I don't want to put that pressure on people and I and the refuge thing well the whole I wanted someone I wanted to I tried to live a life where I could just be Neelam and you're basically telling me that like Neelam can't exist and it was just a lot at once and I remember asking the person who was with me at the time like can I live with you like would your like would your dad mind and he was like well you have to ask my you have to ask my dad and I was like oh great that's great that's, that's so that's so like great that I have to go as a homeless person and be like yeah I've got nowhere to live can you house me um and I'm grateful for them uh that the those set of parents um not necessarily the person I ended up living with but the person the parents and their, their family were so supportive um and then sh like shortly after that like my mental health went downhill even more because again I felt like the person that I was living with was constantly like well you know like you need to do this you're always unhappy and stuff and I'm like oh gosh like the person like I'm trying to I'm trying to get myself better and I can't and I've just like got to mourn 23 years of my life because I basically had no contact with my family and stuff like that I think they were trying to figure out what to do I had contact with my sister but that was it I had no contact with my brothers who meant who meant and mean the world to me so like not having that really really fucking hurt and then like not having my parents to talk to and apologize to that sucked um so it got to a point where like one night I just felt so crap and I think I got into an argument not even an argument I think it was just like it was a, a bit of a, a just a dis debate let's say that um with this person I was living with and I just felt like I can't even keep this person happy I should just go and die so I remember going downstairs and grabbing a whole packet of paracetamol I can't remember how many it was maybe like 18 or something and I just downed them um I came back up to the room and I told my friends like I love you and stuff and blah 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 only one of my friends did I tell that I what I'd done and he got in touch with the person I was living with to be like can you check on Neela because she's gonna have done this and I'm worried that she's gonna like die and stuff and so the person at the time he was like they were really upset and angry rightly rightfully so I think they were scared that I'd just done that and they basically said like I think the help here is done you need to you need to leave tomorrow so I was I slept on the floor that night and I then got in touch with um Amy um the next morning and I was just like Amy can I live with you for like the week and then I'll find somewhere else to go <laughs> and she um she was like yeah of course you've always had a place here but like what's happened so I explained and she was like yeah no no that's fine I'm gonna be at work today but my mum will be my mum will be home and we'll tell like you know you're welcome to you've always had a place here and yeah just come come here whenever um and my mum will help you so I got in touch with them 
uh, some people to come, like my cousins, to come and help me move because a few of them knew what happened because I felt so alone during this process. I had my sister and a few cousins. So my cousins came and I packed up my stuff and I remember the family I was living with at the time, they were like, please don't go, like, you're so, you bring so much light and energy to this house, please don't go, we want you to get better. And I was like, no, no, it's fine, I think it's gonna, I think it's best for me to go. They didn't know that he'd be, the person I was living with was also telling me I need to leave. I think they just thought like I decided to go. Um, and then I remember that was the first time I met Amy's mum, Sue, and it was so funny because my hair was a mess, I had stress spots on my face. I turned up at the door with two black bin bags and was like, uh, yeah, so I'm gonna be living with you now, is that okay? And I remember her parents, like, they, like, she took me up to the room, she showed me around the house and she was like, do you want a bath, do that, and see the other, and I just sat on the bed so embarrassed that I was homeless again. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just remember, like, I was like, I think I'm just gonna sleep for a little bit. I think I've had a heavy day. She's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's no worries. And when she left the room, like, I fully crashed out for hours. And then Amy came home and we spoke, and then I went downstairs and said to her parents, like, any rent you want from me, and like, I'll be out by the end of the week. And they were like, Needham, there is no rush for you to leave. We don't want rent from you. You don't, um, you, you, they even asked, they were like, you're a vegetarian, right? And I was like, I'm vegetarian, so I can eat fish. They're like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you don't worry. You stay here for as long as you need. Any help that you need, we're here for you. Do not rush. You're not, like, leaving. So two years later was when I, I stay, stayed with them for two years. Um, and they really, really did help me. In fact, along the way, they were like, just get your ment mental health better. And they were saying, like, Neelam, you don't need to tiptoe around the house. Like, this is your home now and stuff. Like, it's okay. And I remember just feeling so, like, just so like grateful for the fact that like this is the first time I'd met them and they just like took me in um and they didn't come they didn't care about where what family I came from what background I came from they just they just took me in um I remember the first Christmas I spent with them and they got us presents and stuff and they even got me stuff and like extended family members had also got me little bits and pieces and I just felt like so I don't know, I just felt so like, wow, this is so weird. Like, I've just been accepted into this family. Um, and yeah, it was just like very, very hard. And just like, ended up like, my the, her parents very much like, just took me in as their own. And I'm so flipping grateful to them. Even like this year, like my birthday, they sent me a birthday card from all of them, which was just so lovely. Um, and throughout the time like Amy's parents were very supportive and Amy was very very supportive she's so bloody patient for the fact that she's impatient she's very bloody she was very patient throughout this time she gave like I had we shared a bed two 20 year mid 20 year olds sharing a bed and I had a wardrobe which they were like you know decorate as your own Amy like changed the room around so that there was more space for both of us and stuff and I'll forever be grateful to them forever be grateful um and just like yeah like my, I remember like Amy's dad and I would talk a lot too and he would say, he would say like like he would talk to me as like he, I was his own daughter and he would say like you know I can tell you now that your parents love you and stuff they don't they're just upset with everything that's happened but they don't 
they don't hate you or anything and like they encouraged me to keep in touch with my family and I remember the first time that I got back in touch like I remember my mum reached out and she was like yeah come round and we'll have a chat and it was it was very shortly after everything like every the time I left home and I was very I was very nervous because it was also going to be the first time I met my brothers and I was really scared I knocked on the door my sister was like yeah yeah come in and I, I saw my younger brother and I just like he looked at me and he was like oh you're you're home and I was like I just burst into tears and he gave me a hug and he goes, he's so awkward. He was like, I'm going to go upstairs now because he was like, clearly, like, I'm just going to leave them to it. And then when I was in the living room, my mum came in and I just couldn't look at anyone. Like I couldn't look at my dad or my mum. I just looked at the ground and when my mum came in, I like cried. And she was like, I bought you some food and stuff. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm not hungry right now. And then my youngest brother, who I was really close to, he came in. And he didn't see that I was in the room. He put the stuff down. He turned around and he stopped, shocked. And he got like really happy. And my mum was like, go over and give her a hug. And I just burst into tears. Cause like, it was so nice to see my family. Um, and so yeah, like we talked for a bit and stuff like that. Um, yeah, just, I can't even remember what the question was. What was the question? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get through one of these episodes without having some tears. It's, um, no, what, what, what a story, you know, like what a tragic experience you've had so many ups and downs and thank God for, you know, Amy and her family. Yeah. It seemed like whilst those two years were still a tough time where I think you worded it perfectly. You were mourning, you know, your life and the person that you were, sort of being forced to be and you're coming you you was it was sort of like a transitional phase of you coming yeah. into the person that you were meant to be and it it just sounded like utter chaos especially when I know you were in a very toxic relationship within that time before you were led to Amy's family yeah. so you know just you barely clipped I don't know what the word is you've barely gone into you touched upon the the hard times that you went through because I know I know your I know your story you know well enough to understand that you know some of the times that you've been through are a lot harder than what maybe you were just explained and it already sounded bad (laughs) so so, what a time (laughs) so I don't think anyone could you know, and oh, just something really hit me was, you know, the therapist. I don't, I don't always oh, believe in therapy. I believe in a therapist. So yeah. I, I believe that there are some special people out there. And if you find the right one for you, they can help you. If you find the wrong one, it can steer you down a darker, a darker. Tell me about it. So um, it sounds like, you know, you went through a really terrible time there you know not to believe you for you to open up and for you know not to believe you and it's you know you see a lot of the time now always check on the happiest person in the room you know and I'm my I myself you know I've been described as the sunshine of the office and all these things and what they don't know is that whilst I'm there smiling laughing throughout the entire day I'm going home and I'm having a breakdown you know yeah (laughs) like I just couldn't echo that enough when people say that and it sounds like you know that was well fitted for you um I have a few more questions. Go for it. 
do you regret going to the police or do you feel like it was worth everything you went through to get to where you are today um it's very hard because i feel like if I, the whole regret thing so the way that i look at the word regret i think that like I've, wow okay i don't know why it took me, it took me a long time to ask that question let me start again um i think in terms of regretting going to the police um i kind of I, I think if anything I wish I don't regret it because I think that I was mentally unwell and I was I tried so many different avenues um I don't I, when I say I don't regret it, it's because obviously me going to the police has ended up with me with the life that I have now and the people that I've met now and stuff like that um because I'm a very much I'm a firm believer of everything happens for a reason and everything happens at the time that it happens because it's meant to happen at that time and whatnot and it's, I think it's very much, it's very magical. So I feel like without, if I hadn't gone to the police, I may have done a different route, which would have ended up with me not being who I am today. I would have been someone completely different. So I don't necessarily regret going to the police. However, I don't know whether it was the best option at the time. I think I just, I think I just exhausted everything and I was so mentally in a dark place. If I was in that position now with who I am now, I don't think the police would have been an option. Okay, and a massive question coming again. I know I keep asking big ones. No, go for it. <laughs> What's your relationship like with God now? Do you identify as a Muslim? So I don't identify as a Muslim. Um, and I, I think like that's, that's quite like, might sound like really shocking to hear to if whoever listens to this hears it for me to be like, I don't identify as a Muslim. I think if I'm honest, I just identify as Neelam. I think that's the first time I can properly say I identify as Neelam. Um, and in terms of a relationship with God, so I very much believe in the universe. I very much believe in um, like what I just said about how everything happens for a reason. Like it's quite magical and stuff. I, I do believe like, it's funny cause like I've read the Quran and I do see stuff about Islam come up every now and then on my phone or like TikTok or social media and stuff like that. And like, because it's some form of like, I know about it. It's like, it's, it's comforting whilst also like some things I'm like, don't necessarily agree with and stuff. It's just like interpretation and stuff. I've like, you know, touched base with the Bible, to be honest. Like one of my friends um, got me a Bible and I started reading that just cause I was just interested in it. Um, I've also started looking into like books about the law of attraction and like um, manifestation because I very much believe in that. I very much believe that like if you if you are like if you have positive manifestations, like those manifestations will come true and stuff. And I just I think so in terms of like my relationship with God, um, it's not that I don't believe in God. I think I just refer to. I think I refer to what people would refer to as God is the universe. Um, if that makes any sense. I don't know if, if that's just utter like crap. That's <laughs> just not falling out of my mouth. But Absolutely it's just, it just, not. Absolutely not. It is what's true to you, you know, and it's who, it's who you are, you know, and, and that's your, that's your perspective. That's your form of expression. I mean, like I said at the beginning, I'm still, you know, I'm, I, I don't have, there's no expiry date on when you sort of need to know these things and say what you believe in that you don't need to necessarily yeah. one thing or 
believe in a you know what the lessons in a book are do you know what I mean and I completely that's not you know downplaying the, the the fact of like the bible and the quran and you know these are things people live by and believe in truly do you know what I mean but um, yeah it, it sounds like you know we're on similar pages now where we're still learning about what we believe in and what you know what exists and I, I think that's okay you know yeah um two last questions do you forgive your parents for their response and have you forgiven yourself so um it's funny i don't think i ever was angry at my parents ever um well i say that oh who knows maybe there'll be people listening and be like no i'm actually <laughs> but i think if, I, if i'm truly honest i don't think that like deep down i don't think i've ever um not forgiven my parents i think i've just been like it's just been a matter of confusion and trying to understand that like breaking it down like scientifically like without my parents I literally would not exist and I think for me it was more like it wasn't even a matter of forgiving my parents it was more a matter of like you say forgiving yourself myself I think I put a lot of the blame on me it was like all of this stuff has happened to you and you're the common denominator in all of this so you are the problem you are the issue um and I think that even though like every now and then once every now and then like when I tell my story obviously like as we as we heard I'm a crier <laughs> um certain things will make me tear up and stuff but less less than it used to do um I think I think I've it it comes and goes in phases but I think to answer your question like I think the the biggest question that I need to answer is have I forgiven myself and I'd say that like I'm I think I feel like I have forgiven myself. I think because I've, I've kind of like accepted that this is who I am. And I have a really good relationship like with my parents now, I'd say like, I, I basically, I was on the, I was on the phone to my mom yesterday too. And like, uh, I've like, I've, obviously I've moved out and I've moved out of like where, where they live as well and the town and stuff. So like it, I know that like even there like that that can bring some tension and there are many bridges that I'll have to cross in the future like when I meet someone like having to explain okay this is this is the um this is the situation but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we need to at the time and stuff like that because I would want my parents to meet my partner and stuff but like for now I feel like everything is good so like yeah to answer your question I feel like it was more the 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 focus is on have I forgiven myself and I'd say like long answer yeah gosh I'm so sorry I blabble a lot no I you know me I'm I'm a I'm a keen waffler when I'm talking about <laughs> yeah, my own experiences so you know it's it's not it's not even waffle it, it's just expression of you know it sounds really cheesy but expression of the heart you know and yeah when you go through these things you just have an abundance of things to say because you're yeah drowning in emotions and experience and yeah. opinions and they're always they're always conflicted opinions you know and you know yeah you're angry you're angry at people one day and then you're not and you sort of yeah. understand that people's intentions that you know they're only doing things out of love and what yeah. they're actually doing can cause a lot of anger and hate you know and it's sort of like you know it, it takes time it takes no, it takes time to get to get through these things and 
to begin to before you can heal you have to understand what's even happened you know so yeah um, you're i'm so so great to hear you say the words that you know you are in the process or you have forgiven yourself um because yeah. you're an amazing person you know in my perspective you've never done anything wrong you're living true to yourself you know you've not um you know these are my opinions and you've not disgraced uh, a religion you know you you are in my opinion one of the best people you know that I've come across you have so much love you have so much to give you have so much talent you know and you're going to continue to go on to do amazing things and uh you know I'm so grateful to be able to call you a friend and Aww. oh my god on the podcast you know on the podcast today to share your story in hopes that people who might be experiencing similar things or people who just want to learn like myself yeah definitely can can help to understand you know move forward and as I said at the beginning you know hopefully these forms of educating people can help people understand what people go through and and how to cope you know so thank you it's been it's been fantastic thank you no thank you for having me I hope that uh I hope it helps someone if anyone (laughs) Real Connection.